Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? It's going well. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm going to basically say, let's leave the central bank stuff aside here, because I actually think right now what's interesting is to take stock of where we think we are in the business cycle, in the context of a, a set of influences, signals from the data, dealing with risk. You know, and let me just lay the kind of the table here. You know, our our core view basically has what I'd call attention in it. We have a view that there's near term resilience, uh, that the global economy can continue to expand here. But that near term resilience does start to lay seeds for an ultimate um, early end to the expansion. Part of that comes from central banks that may be able to pause here, but are in a position where they're going to have to keep restrictive stances uh, to deal with sticky inflation. Uh, part of that is that the combination of tight central banks um, and how that transmits through credit and financial conditions begins to undermine corporate sector health. And then you throw a dose of time in there uh, and you, you get yourself to a position where at some point we begin to create enough vulnerability. So in that context, we can you know, deal with two issues here. One is the risks that were just wrong about resilience. And the other is that this boiling the frog type story is wrong and, hey, the world is much better and we can have a soft landing. And there's, there's issues to talk on both, both front, but let's let's get to the near-term resilience story. And I think there's at least um, two angles here. One is how we think about uh, the rest of the world outside the U.S. as a risk. And the other one is what kind of shocks might be hitting us. We could talk about... Um, UAW, we can talk about government shutdown, but much more on my mind is is energy markets. So there's a lot of stuff there, Joe. Why don't you just jump in wherever you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the near-term tension uh, deals with the, the fact that if a U.S. economy that feels like it's pretty darn strong for the last couple quarters here and tracking strong through the, through the third quarter, um, and... At the same time, you've got a number of headwinds that we're, we're facing. We think things are going to slow down. We think the drags are going to build. And the question is, are they going to hit us faster than what you and I are expecting? We've been calling for resilience through the course of this year. That's proved right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think so far, I'm not so concerned about the U.S. I mean, you, you correctly laid out the big shocks, oil. Kind of, and then you I, there's there's kind of oil at the, as a real shock, and then there's a bunch of little things that maybe add up to a modest shock, which is UAW, potential government shutdown, student loan maybe is somewhere in between. Um, there's also Europe. There's also Europe as a no, shock. No, I didn't switch. So then I switch gears. So if I were just talking about the U.S. and if we were just U.S. economists, I'd be like, hey, we're we're okay here. Like, yeah, we'll have to watch these kind of near-term stories, but I think we'll be able to weather. The oil price shock, partly in recognition of the fact that some of the oil price move is actually reflecting that strength that we've seen, uh, you know, through the middle part of the year, particularly on services and travel and that that type of stuff. So when we parse that out, as we did in the note we did this week, we kind of say about at least a fourth of the rise in oil prices is demand. So that shouldn't be something we're worried about. Um, so I think the U.S. can tolerate. It's the it's Europe that continues to vex us, right? And the PMIs, the flash PMIs out this week, 
um, did not give us any kind of help again. And finally, our European team has kind of marked down growth quite a bit. I think last week we did UK, this week we did Euro area, both are kind of stalling now at this point. And it, it, we've been saying this, you and I, that it feels like Europe is heading for a recession. And now our team is forecasting a stall and we might get to a recession. And that divergence is, is kind of, I think, uh, really something that uh, is, is, is worrying us. I mean, I think maybe worrying me a little bit more than you. You seem to be willing to, to look through it. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but nonetheless, that's, I think, what I'm grappling with. How much more can the, you know, the global economy tolerate this divergence, both in the, the geographically as well as some of the sectoral splits as well. Manufacturing just doesn't seem like it's picking up yet. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a, a, a drag here, and I don't think we can obviously ignore Western Europe. But I do think we have tested the transmission of those shocks through financial conditions in the last two or three months. And it's validated the models we put together, which basically says the U.S. dominates and it dominates because it, it has the bigger impact on financial conditions. And you know that could change, of course, but so far that's in place. Um, the other thing is I think it's hard for me to see Europe breaking in a meaningful way. That's not to say that you couldn't have growth go into negative territory, but you know it, it feels to me like Europe is stuck in very low gear, but is not going to kind of have a, a crisis breakdown. There's not a, um, a a financial angle that I see playing out there. And one other thing that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort is that the energy price story in Europe is bucking the global trend to some degree because you're continuing to get the pass through of falling natural gas prices through the regulated channels that's uh, they remain it, low and they, re and they I, it's more than regulations I, I just think it's right now the ttf yeah. prices are, are low and there's a risk that you have a bad winter but of course but that's even the, the cpi energy in europe is not moving in yeah. the same way it's moving elsewhere so at least uh for a little while you have a, a bit of a cushion that's not again i'm not trying to fight the the message that Europe is weak and not only that it's weak, but it doesn't, as you say, with the September PMIs and everything else we're seeing, it doesn't show at this point any sign that it's going to turn like China was weak for three or four months. But there's some better news in the higher frequency space. Yeah, on and you're, you're making a, a, a good point and it fits together with another point we've been making. And you, you have this piece out talking about weirdonomics and kind of saying isn't isn't the nature of the cycle feels different uh, for a number of reasons. And I think the big thing that's different is we don't have those vulnerabilities that you tend to have. And there's a reason we don't have those vulnerabilities because from a, a macro perspective, the rate cycle feels very late cycle. The way, the way you, rates have moved, you would tend to see almost every time in history, rates move like they have, you're gonna have a recession. But the problem is, the macroeconomy doesn't feel that way, right? We're only a couple, few years into this expansion. Balance sheets haven't gotten over levered yet. Corporates haven't overinvested. They're not borrowing. And for the most part, it feels very mid-cycle. And that's what sets up all these weirdonomics type relationships that, that you have been pointing out. And like you're raising right now, which is if you look to Europe, yeah, they might be sluggish. They might even contract a little bit, but what is there to break here? It's not like things got stretched. Similarly, the housing sector in the U.S. is already starting to recover. It's not like you had a big you know, housing bubble that needs to correct. So that really does change the nature of what the risks are as we look over the next 12 months. And in, in our minds kind of sets you up for 
may be sluggish, but it does raise the odds of potentially a soft landing that extends this expansion of, of you know quite a bit further. It's why we so put non-trivial weight on Goldilocks. So let's let's go to that. It, it, and and obviously there's more we could get into here about near-term risk, but we're we're in too much agreement on this, Joe. So we might as well <laughs> go somewhere where we can maybe have a little better back and forth. No, I'm joking. I mean, it's okay that we agree sometimes. But um, um, if we kind of get to the soft landing stuff, I mean, the first thing I think we should say, and I think it 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 hopefully comes across, is we are in the boil the frog camp, but we're not in the boil the frog camp in the sense that something is going to go bad immediately. It's a, it's a grinding, slow story. And also, we're not sitting here pounding the table on this. I think both of us kind of have an understanding. There's a lot we don't know about the inflation process. There's a lot going on in terms of how the underlying vulnerabilities move here that um, you know could give us surprising outcomes and to some degree surprising to the more positive side. But let's talk about the near-term challenge, which I think to the, to the boil the frog story, which I think is, hey, inflation, core inflation is becoming lower here. Um, and we are um, probably going to get some good numbers next week on the euro area uh, flash uh, number for September. The US uh, PCE, which is a little bit higher than the CPI in July, is going to come in lower in August. So both are going to be looking like they're trending downward. You know, are we actually seeing the kind of um, inflation trajectory that can get central banks to ease, ease earlier here? I guess, ironically, the European inflation uh, story, if you believe the, the kind of the distortionary factors that have been holding core inflation up, as those drop out, um, you could see core inflation in Europe move back below that of the U.S. Um, yeah. And combined with the, the weak growth prospects there, um, I think that changed the changes the calculus for central banks. Now, obviously, the ECB uh, kind of uh, gave us that hike, and as you correctly pointed out, that's usually the the, the death knell for the European. <laughs> that's expansion. the biggest risk. The ECB <laughs> hike goes into our risk bucket. Um, ECB so hiked in a, 2008 and 2011, just as a recession was about yeah, to take hold. So. Exactly, perfect forecasters. But I do think you know the inflation story in Europe is you know could look a lot better here in three months. I think U.S. is actually the other way around. I think we've had a stretch of, of very soft inflation numbers, and I think the technical issues are actually going to move in the opposite direction there, where you know, you've got the health insurance, which I think could add as much of a big of a swing as four-tenths on annualized inflation, uh, core inflation, four-tenths on core inflation uh, up as we move to the latter months of this year. Um, there still is the disinflationary impulse of goods, and then there's the wild card of, of, of services, which still seems sticky. So the point is on, on U.S. inflation is uh, core inflation is that um, I definitely don't think we're out of the woods, despite the near term soft patch we've had. I mean, I'm going to I agree with you. I think. Oh, no, it's not, too no, much yeah, agreement. Uh, OK, calm down. The, uh, um I mean, I don't know when the turn comes. Uh, as you note, there's a health insurance distortion in the CPI. Uh, it does feel in the forward-looking space like the used car price declines we're seeing now are not going to last that long. But yeah. there is still, I think, a decent amount of core goods uh, disinflation slash deflation in the pipeline from the uh, disappointing outcomes in manufacturing and also from China yeah. excess supply. So I don't know where that turns. I just would not 
extrapolate that much more than another few months, especially if we're right. And this is a big call, of course, that global industry does does somewhat better here. Um, and well, I think there's one person who thinks we're not out of the woods on inflation, and that's the Fed, right? <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, I mean, they have in a some super, ways, super hawkish view on near term inflation. They certainly have a high core PCE reading for this year, which probably gets gets pushed lower if we get our one tenth forecast for 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 next week. But um, I mean, I think their their view is basically their and and it's more of an aspiration than a forecast is that inflation is going to take a while to get itself down, but it will get itself down. And then now, in fact, in their forecast, they don't actually see much rise in the unemployment rate. They don't see much, if any, weakness in growth to get you there. So they're, you know, if you take their SCP as a as a message, and I'm, I think that might be a little bit too much to do, uh, they are full full bore soft landing folks right now. Full bore soft um, landing and full bore team transitory. That the, basically that the supply curve is what caused the inflation. It's shifting out and it's giving you lower inflation and stronger growth. But I think from my point of view, that that message should be tempered relative to the message that they're telling us that they're not going to uh, just focus on the inflation news in the near term and that they are believers with more growth resiliency, with still tight labor markets, that it's going to be quite a while before they'd consider lowering rates. So we'll we'll have to play this, you know, debate about whether the trajectory lower on core inflation sticks uh, and takes us into the twos on a sustained basis or not. But they're not going to respond to that quickly by uh, taking back any of the tightening. So I think from the boil the frog scenario, and I think this is true for the Europeans as well, um, to me, the more important message is they're signaling high for long. And then we'll see how this this evolves, both from the inflation outlook and also from the, the outlook of whether it builds those vulnerabilities in uh, to our, um, you know, macro space in 2024 and we'll see that we'll see how that plays out is this is going to be a, a, a story that's going to take time to really see how how it un, unfolds yeah, it's um, going to be one of of navigating right like how much of the inflation fall is going to be driven by some of these transitory factors and how much do they need to keep their foot on the brakes to keep the the demand curve from staying as strong as it is right you're 100 right it's a good point that yeah, although they have this strong growth and inflation falling, it's in a world where they have very restrictive policy for a long time. So they do have their foot on the brakes. They are pulling that demand curve in. And then it's just a it's it's a navigation exercise, right? Can they manage all of this without breaking something? And in that world, you can see why they're going to be very data dependent and not want to really commit to anything very forward looking. And that's exactly the message you got from Powell in the, in the press conference. So I'd like to end on a, on a wonk alert, which is I want to get into something somewhat technical here. So if anybody wants to shut off now, they could, but let's, let's they talk about already. <laughs> yes, we've, we've been in a wonk alert for the last uh, two years on this, but uh, um Let's talk about the manufacturing recovery here for a second. Oh, um, do we have just, to? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I guess what's striking me in the in the PMIs today um, is two things that are related. One is that while the you know the output index uh, was up a little bit, it, it obviously stays at a low level. 
we had a pretty decent move down in the inventory reading uh, for the for the DM. But the orders inventory ratio right now in the euro area is still stuck at like 0.8, which is ridiculously low. And it's now sitting at 1.1 in the U.S., which is like really high. And I'm, you know, I can go back and forth in terms of how I want to interpret that from a forward-looking signal. So why don't you take your your shot at that, and then we can kind of bounce that maybe a little bit. Well, I think there are a couple of things. There's the the geographic divergence, but before even getting into that, I mean, let's let's talk about just the broader inventory story and and. We had a view, and certainly I was more bullish on the view, which has turned out to be, at least up until now, not right. Um, might be right still. But, uh, you know, the view was that, yeah, final demand is holding in. And in addition, you're going to get some inventory lift in a world where inventories feel like they got pretty darn lean through the first part of the year after a year of, year of no growth in global industry. Right. So that seemed to all be falling into place. And we had seen this picture many times in the past. And so starting in May, June, July, I was like, hey, something's going to happen here. And it hasn't happened yet. So one first thing I want to do is figure out what am I missing here? And I think what before getting to the forecast, one thing I think I'm, I'm missing and I'm hearing more when I talk to clients, particularly corporate clients, is that one re the one they're saying demand is final demand is holding up okay that's a good news that's a check for the way we're viewing the world but something that they also say is that with interest rates as high as they are their wholesalers retailers are unwilling to hold as much inventories because the carry cost is just too high and that is short circuiting this inventory lift that we have been pushing for a while now so that's maybe one thing that we haven't got right. Now, the geographic difference you raise, I think it's the same story. It's just layer in another risk factor, which is if you're sitting in Europe, you've still got the Russia-Ukraine war going on. You've got the, the, yes, we mentioned natural gas prices are down, but you got winter coming up. You don't know what that's going to be like. I would be reluctant to be building inventories and holding inventories if I were kind of a European producer here. You've got these structural issues going on. So I think what's happening in, in Europe is not just a cyclical story. I think there's a, a structural story. And then I think there are some very idiosyncratic shocks that are also making the, the kind of the calculus a bit more difficult for those manufacturers. So it's no surprise U.S. is kind of standing out a little bit. All of this, when I put it all together, I think makes me cautious. I still fall back to the very simple point I was started making around mid-year, which is if it's not broke, don't doubt it. If we're not going into a recession, I think the good sector is going to get a bit of a beta, a, you know, a high beta response to the lift here. So let's just leave on that note and make the point that I, you know, I certainly think in the context of the PMI today, focusing on manufacturing, we've got an inconclusive signal uh, I think what we get from the Asian economies when we get the global PMIs are going to be the more decisive signal given a more positive U.S. and a weak, weaker Europe signal. So we'll see where we are there. Unfortunately, that's more that's a week plus from where we are right now. Um, but I guess we'll come back and talk about it then. So uh, with that, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening and hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.